Welcome to this presentation from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. We are located in the greater Los Angeles area at 9820 Lakewood Boulevard in Downey, California. We would love to have you worship with us any Saturday you are in our area. going to try something a little different today. See how two people who are used to getting all of the time do it splitting it. So that may be interesting. Sermon may be twice as long today. Who knows? We got 15 minutes, Bill. <laughs> I don't think we're going to make it. <laughs> we'll do our best. We'll do our best. Have you ever been misunderstood? Right? You're trying to get something across and it's just, it's just not working. Nobody's intentionally being difficult it's just not working right that, that's happened to you yeah see lots of head shaking I think that happened to Jesus a lot and that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today but before we dive into that you know I want to talk a little bit of what happens during Jesus's final week because a lot happens between his triumphant entry into Jerusalem and his trial and crucifixion I mean, a lot. <laughs> and we often forget it all, and we are not going to cover it all. In fact, today we're only going to cover three little stories out of all of those. But um, let's take a look real quick. We've got a timeline here that's in your notes as well. So first of all, Jesus enters Jerusalem, right? We know that. Um, then Jesus curses the fig tree and clears the temple courts. The authority of Jesus is questioned. To me, these, th those ones are just amazing. I mean, somebody who can work miracles, you've seen him work the miracles. You've seen the blind and the lame get better. How, how do you question that? I, I, that's tough. They're haters. They're haters. <laughs> we have the parable of the tenants. We have paying the imperial tax to Caesar. We have the question about is there marriage at the resurrection? Um, we have the greatest commandment, whose son is the Messiah, and then the warning against the teachers of the law. All that happens in that week. And then is the, the trial and the crucifixion. So, that, I mean, that's a whole big event in of itself. So this is just a jam-packed week. Like I said, we aren't going to begin to get through that all. We're just going to look at three little things today. But, you know, maybe sometime, Pastor, we should have a sermon on the living our lives like Jesus did during his last week or so. We need a better title. But something yeah, like that. For something sure. like that. For be, sure. Be a good sermon. So this morning, we're going to be looking at a couple of the stories in Jesus's last week. We're going to be looking at them from two different points of view, okay? One point of view is the religious leaders and, and those people, and one is the disciples. So pastor is a religious leader. I finally get to play a villain. <laughs> I get so my we're going to let him handle that side, because I'm a disciple of Jesus. Don't read too much into that, but we're going to have some fun. We're going to have some fun. So, you know, it's kind of like the old black hat and white hat in the old westerns, you know. That's who the good guys and the bad guys were. I get to wear the white hat for once. All right. 
But I think it's going to be instructional to look at both sides because sometimes we tend to say, I'm not like those religious leaders. I love Jesus. But how many times do we put ourselves first before others? How many times do we do things like that, right? And so sometimes we can be a lot more like those religious leaders than we think. And sometimes we think, I'm not like the disciples. No, they were kind of dense. They didn't get it. I get it. But when we go home, we don't always act like we get it. So it's going to be instructional to look at this from, from kind of both sides this morning. And obviously, we don't know exactly what these people were thinking, but we can make a few assumptions. So as we go forward to that, um, that's what we're going to be doing today. So Pastor is going to start us off by talking about our first event here. Okay, so the first event is when... I didn't even get through all the things. There's more <laughs> things that happened that first week. I missed some of them. Sorry. All right, so Jesus enters Jerusalem. This is also called Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And I, I kind of initially titled this Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, question mark. Because those of you who know the story know that when Jesus enters, there's no great red carpet. There is not a thousand people lined up. It's actually, in many ways, anticlimactic. In fact, as it says, oh, okay, so last couple of chapters, Jesus was headed to Jerusalem. Now he's there. And as they approach Jerusalem, he tells a couple of the disciples to run ahead and to get a goat. I'm sorry, not a goat, a colt. <laughs> Big difference. And, and they're like, and Jesus says, hey, you know, if, uh, if any have, anybody has a problem, just say, uh, the Lord needs it, and they will send it back here shortly. So the disciples go, they grab a colt. And what's a colt? Is it an old horse or a young baby? Baby. Okay. They come back, and Jesus cruises into Jerusalem. And by the way, he had no fancy saddle. You know what his saddle was? The cloaks of the disciples. And as he enters into Jerusalem, other people take their cloaks off, and they lay it forward. So instead of a red carpet event, it is just this anticlimactic Jesus is entering. There's no entourage. People are saying, Hosanna, which is great. But no, uh, I'm assuming, no, no trumpets, no great fanfare. And then there had to have been the, the Jewish leadership. And now it doesn't give their recorded reaction, but one surmise based on their relationship with Jesus, they're probably thinking, how embarrassing. And by the way, he had to borrow a cold. You know what he also had to borrow? He had to borrow a boat. He had to borrow a room. He had to borrow a lot of stuff. Well... This is not the great conquering hero that the Messiah is supposed to be. Well, what is happening here? No respect. And who does this guy think he is? We are in charge. So, uh, everybody's saying praise. And actually, Hosanna could also be a form of praise or even save now. So this is the perspective of how ridiculous. Okay, so Bill, what's the perspective of the disciples? So the disciples are almost feeling some of the same things I think that the, the religious leaders are. Why does Jesus tell us to go get a cult, you know? Why not like a fine white stallion with a fancy saddle and, and you know, ribbons draped off it and the tail braided and whatever they do to make horses look cool and regal, right? Why not one of those? But at least Jesus is doing something. It's been three years, and finally, 
finally he's coming into Jerusalem, and man, we are going to kick us some Roman behinds all the way back to Rome with those guys, because the only thing they can think about is what's right directly in front of them. And how many times are we like that? Right? If you're hungry, what is Jesus? The provider of food. If you're sick, what is Jesus? The healer. If you need money, what is Jesus? The banker. If Rome has invaded your land, what is Jesus? He's the protector. He's going he's to send those Romans packing. And that's all they can see and all they can understand. And, and I think the, the leaders uh, are little making fun of Jesus because of his humble entrance. And I think the disciples are a little worried about Jesus' humble entrance. But Jesus' humble entrance has a lot to do with what Jesus is trying to announce of who he is. You don't follow Jesus because he's got a cool white stallion or a fancy army or a marching band or trumpets or whatever. Following Jesus is an act of service and humility. And Jesus is trying to send that message, and I think 99% of the people standing around don't get it at all. Okay? So moving forward? Moving forward. Okay. So the next act, after all of that happens, uh, Jesus, uh, the next day, as they're leaving Bethany, uh, Jesus is hungry. So Jesus is human. He needs food. And he sees that there's this fig tree, but there is no fruit on it. And when he gets there, it, of course, you know, it wasn't the season for figs. But when he sees the tree, he sees the leaves, he says, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And the disciples heard him say it. Of course, the Pharisees are not there, but kind of give them perspective. This is also the only time that Jesus actually, you could say, curses something. So, we don't have a Pharisee account, but Bill, why don't you take over? So, again, the disciples don't, we don't know a lot about what the disciples, but I think they're probably looking at Jesus going like, what did he just do? Uh -huh. You walked over to the tree, and there's no figs on the tree, and Jesus, you know, he tells it never to bear fruit again. I mean, go to that tree. There's figs on that tree, right? What, what's up with Jesus? He must be having a bad day. <laughs> and it got worse. So later on. <laughs> uh, and believe it or not, these stories do tie together. So later on, we find Jesus goes to the temple. And this story is in every account. In the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, Luke, it's towards the end. John places it at the beginning. But here, Jesus goes to the temple. And what does Jesus find? They're selling things. They're disrespecting, essentially desecrating the temple. And so what does he do? He goes and flips the money table over. Any of you grow up in the church and maybe your mom or some well-meaning member says to walk softly in the sanctuary, to not run, to be respectful. All right, I see y'all. Right? So Jesus does the complete opposite. He goes and he flips the money table over. Now, he says, essentially, you've made this, uh, you are a den of robbers. Now, who does 
this Jesus think he is in the minds of the Pharisees. He comes in here. We have the authority. We're the religious leaders. The high priest says it's cool. And if he says it's cool, it's good to go. But there is so much more. Jesus is not just calling them out for their, their thieving ways, essentially, because essentially they were, they were running a racket. <clears throat> Some additional backstory. The place that the, 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 the people were at was in the court of the Gentiles. Now, when somebody who has been traveling far away to come and worship at the temple, they had to exchange the rate. Okay, They, uh, they were using um, the Tyrian currency versus the, the current currency. And so, look, the people thought, oh, let's just charge a little extra. And they were making money. Not only that, you could bring a potential animal for a sacrifice, but if it didn't meet the kosher requirements, guess what? Oh, it's not going to work out. Here's some animals that you could buy, but how much are they charging? So it was extortion. And Jesus is also extremely angry with the, the Jewish leadership because the cattlemen, the money changers, are set up where the non-Jews could come and worship. Wait, there's other people that could worship here? So verse 17, there's actually a quote from Isaiah 56, 7. It says, if, uh, where it would, this would be a house of prayer for, and a place for all what? Nations. That's worldwide. Right? So it wasn't just the Jews who could come. Those who believed in God could come and worship there. And so Jesus is basically saying, hey, you guys are not only set up, you're running a racket, and you're, you're not, people are not able to even come and worship. Imagine having cattle back there or even in the sanctuary, and they're doing their business and everything. Is that a great, wonderful place to do worship? Horrible. You can't concentrate. So in the eyes of the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the scribes, they're angry with Jesus. How dare he come in? And that's where it really ramps up to now. All of a sudden, they really, really want to try to get rid of Jesus. Not just get rid of, but they want to kill him. Okay, so. So the disciples are probably a little confused by this too, right? Because they grew up in the temple's a holy place, and Jesus is making a holy mess at the moment, right? Amen. And so, you know, what? They don't understand, I don't think, what is going on fully. But the interesting point here is that nobody from the religious leaders or the disciples or anybody in the temple appears to try and stop Jesus. Because everybody knew what was going on was wrong. Right? You ever done something wrong? Yeah, you have. Did you know it? Yeah, yeah. Somebody calls you out on it. You can't say, but I, I was, I knew it. It was wrong. It's like when the police officer stops you for speeding. Do you know what I stopped you for? Oh, I hate that question. Duh. If you don't know, I'm not going to volunteer it. <laughs> right? But, you know, this is what's going on. And so um, they're, they're very confused by this and, and what's happening. But everybody knows what Jesus is doing is the right thing. And when Jesus gets all done, Jesus sits down and teaches the people. And Mark records that the people were amazed by the things he said. And we don't know exactly what he said. But I bet it had something to do with the temple and being a house of prayer. Right? 
And I think they began to think about the temple up to now has been a place where you go, you take an animal, you transfer your sins to it, it gets killed, you wash your hands and you leave. Bang, 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 done. And all of a sudden the temple is different. And it's something different is going on. And so um, I think that's, that's a, the light is starting to dawn here for some of them. Okay. So they left the temple and they're cruising. And uh, who was it? I think it was Peter. They go back by the fig tree. And within a day, what happens to the fig tree? It withers away. Has anybody seen a plant die within less than 24 hours? A big tree, for instance. No. So what's happening here, Bill? Well, again, you know, it says it withered from the roots. I don't know about you, when I was a little kid, we had, we lived on kind of this corner and a car hit a tree, kind of a big tree hit a tree. And my parents said, oh no, they've killed that tree. We lived there for like five more years. That tree never died in the five years we lived there. Maybe it was starting to, I don't know. But trees take a long time to die. And this tree dies overnight. And Jesus didn't curse. He didn't say, may you die. He said, may you never bear fruit again. But if a fruit tree can't bear fruit, what good is it? Is Jesus making a point here? I think so. Who's he making a point of? <laughs> Remember how the Levites were chosen? Well, what happened when the Levites were chosen to be the priest? Remember? Aaron's rod did what? It sprouted. Grew almonds overnight. Now, I've had a walking stick at home for 15 years. It has never sprouted. Okay? And the Levites begin their ordained ministry by the act of a dead stick coming to life, and it ends when a living tree dies. How many of you have ever thought of that? That's deep, isn't it? So Mark's being intentional here. All right, let's go ahead. Uh, <laughs> time's a waste. Our last point that we want to uh, point out is that of whose son is the Messiah. So a lot of times Jesus is being harassed by the teachers of the law, scribes, and the Pharisees. But in the temple courts, Jesus goes on the offensive, and he, he asks a question. And he says, why do the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself, declaring by the Holy Spirit, said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? And this is the last kicker. The large crowd listened to him with what? Delight. So Jesus is in the temple courts. The Pharisees, again, should have been able to overhear him. If, and if they couldn't directly, I'm sure they had spies. But... This Jesus, in the eyes of perspective of the Jewish leadership, is like, dude, this guy will just not go away. And essentially, he's calling them out for what they are. They can't answer. They can't respond. You know, the thing about the Pharisees, when you're entrusted with responsibility, and especially with leadership, how should you lead? If you are a servant of God, we know you should lead with what? Humility. And yet, were the leadership hum humble at all? Did it not act like it? In fact, it, it says a lot that when you have to try to control the narrative, 
And when you actually have to try to kill somebody because they're not aligned with your views, should that be a moment of self-reflection? Am I doing the right thing? <laughs> <laughs> and they were the experts on scripture. They were supposed to know who the Messiah was, and yet the Messiah was right in front of them, and they couldn't understand. Nicodemus in John 3 had the ability to humble himself and go ask Jesus and ask questions, but not to these guys. And so in the eyes of the perspective of the leadership, what was at stake? Everything, because everybody was being drawn to Jesus, their livelihood, their authority, their prestige, who they are was all on the line. And they were afraid of that being taken away. And so instead of giving opportunity to say, hey, go check this Jesus out, they closed their fist. Can you give when you have a closed fist? You can't. So their perspective, we need to get rid of this guy quickly. All right. The disciples knew exactly what Jesus was doing here, right? I think this is probably one time the disciples kind of understood what was going on. That Jesus has finally exposed the religious leaders not only as selfish and greedy and you know in it for themselves, but they can't even explain the Scripture. See, they knew how to point out that Jesus was in the lineage of David. That was easy. That's just, you know, get on Ancestry.com and do the trace, right? But how can David call Jesus Lord? That didn't make sense to them. And when Jesus points it out, instead of being humble, like Pastor said, and saying, we don't understand, please teach us, instead they plot to kill him. And that tells you everything you need to know about that group of people, right? And it was, um, they were weak and defective in their preaching. Um, they didn't, they claimed to be experts in the, the law, but they didn't know much about it. So, moving on, reflection for this week. What is your response to the hearing about Jesus' teaching? <laughs> Question Are you more like me, the religious leaders? Or are you more like Bill, the disciples? Or could you be both at different times? I think it probably, decide, probably is on the season of your life or even in, when you, in your faith experience, it could be a little bit of both. It, it changes. So that's something that we have to be mindful of, my friends. It's so easy to make fun of the Pharisees. It's so easy. But how often do we act like them? I grew up in a part of the church where I was a Pharisee. And guess what? My life was miserable. When I was judging everybody, oh, that person didn't dress correctly. Or, oh, that person's not faithful. Oh. Yet, when you're trying to be a Pharisee, what's the problem here? You are so full of pride. You're no longer perfect for sure, right? Okay, so that was a reflection. The challenge, maybe take an extra moment when you're reading, studying the Bible, ask God for understanding and clarity, right? That's one thing the disciples didn't have. We have the advantage of looking back and having all this stuff written down for us. We've had pastors and, and theologians explain this stuff to us. We have better understanding. 
I think in the moment when stuff was happening, it's, it's hard to catch on, right? If you ever sat in a difficult college course and the professor is just going on a roll and you, I'm not keeping up. But, you know, later you go back, you study, and then it starts to make sense. We have that advantage. So take advantage of that. Read the extra books. Read the, the commentaries. Look at other sources and look for understanding and clarity. Certainly ask God for understanding and clarity. Sometimes it doesn't, you don't get it the first time. Sometimes it takes a couple times. I mean, look at the disciples. How many times did it take them to get it? And sometimes God's going to plant a seed in your your mind or heart, and you're not going to get it for a long time. Even the disciples, that was their case. That's why he told parables. Leave a little nugget in their mind, and a couple of years later, especially as the church was growing, Acts, that's when it literally says, oh, that's what he meant. So may you, as you read, maybe you have to reread it a couple of times. Maybe you have to. Don't be afraid to ask questions. When you don't know, just say, I don't know. I do that. <laughs> and if the pastor can do that, <laughs> you should be able to do that. All right. All right. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for these stories that we have that are recorded, not just as a history lesson, not just so we know what happened, not so it's just some tidbit in our brains, but something that affects our lives and helps us live to be more like you. Something that will change us to be better followers of you. To understand the purposes that you have for us more fully. To be able to reach out to our, our friends and neighbors, Lord. Help us to remember that the earth is not our home. We're just here recruiting for heaven. Lord, because... That's our final destination. And help us to be the kinds of people that are dragging as many people along with us as we can. Be with us now, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Grace and peace, everybody.